So when we meet Jesus and we declare that He is the Son of God, immediately you become a son or a daughter. Immediately your identity is given to you. That we are loved and that we are grounded and rooted in His love and we know that we're His kids, then all of a sudden we get to understand what we're made for, what our purpose is, which is where inheritance really begins. Intimacy says God chose you and He loves you. Jesus Christ died for you because God loves you that much that He wants relationship with you. You can't perform it. You can't earn it. You have to receive it. Morning, everybody. Thank you for coming back. I was just kidding about what I said about the Ten Commandments. <laughs> just kidding about being just kidding. All right, Hebrews. Um, we're just going to continue going through Hebrews. You want to turn to Hebrews chapter 4. Again, welcome. We're so glad you guys are with us today. We're having fun. Um, I want to make sure that you know if you signed up for our Welcome to Living Waters lunch, that is right after this gathering. We'll go back through that hallway. To your left is our Regeneration Youth Room. We're going to be re setting that up and uh, for the lunch in there. So and uh, for that's for people who are new to Living Waters within the last six months or year, haven't been to one of our welcome lunches, um, and you signed up for that, that's there. If you did not sign up, um, is Kim in here? Great. Okay. So if you didn't sign up, you can totally come. <laughs> uh, oh, a spy is among us. <laughs> If you would like to come, if you're new to Living Waters and you haven't been, uh, it's a great time for us to be able to have some lunch together, but really to share the heart of who we are and uh, what we're about. And so honestly, um, food or no food, we would love to have you there, even if we run out. Uh, we would love to have you there. It's a chance to get to know you and, um, and to make that connection. So please uh, come and talk to me if you want to join, and I'll give you the thumbs up. Um, I'll skip lunch. I'll go to In-N-Out if I don't get a salad. Um, so, <laughs> what? No salad? No, shoot. All right. uh, Hebrews 4. Stop distracting me. Um, Hebrews 1, we talked about the centrality of Christ. It's the center of all things. Powerful, powerful chapter. It sets the, the whole uh, setting for this letter. And Hebrews 2 talks about how everything is under Jesus' feet. And uh, although we don't see that always being played out, yet we know and we walk in confidence that everything is under Jesus' feet. And so that's what Hebrews 2 is challenging us to do. Uh, Hebrews 3 is an encouragement for us to continue to believe, to press into that place of, of knowing that Jesus Christ is central to everything, that everything is under his feet, and that we are challenged as a response to that to believe and to step into that relationship with Jesus Christ that is that we receive and by faith we say yes to that. And so that's what Hebrews 3 is talking about. And it also talked about encouraging one another with stories and testimonies of the things that God's doing in your life and around your life and the things you're seeing and that, that we would encourage one another not to shrink back because following Jesus and, and as the letter of Hebrews shows us, there is a lot of, of asks and challenges within this letter. And we don't want to the person who wrote the letter doesn't want to see anyone getting discouraged. And so we remember that then chapter four, as we started last week, is all about that invitation for present rest in Jesus. Are you at rest in Jesus? And that's what the author was writing to 
in this letter was to ask people, you're coming out of a system of religion that was, as we shared early on, all about sacrifice, all about temple. It's all about jumping through hoops. By the time that Jesus came onto the scene, this religious system had taken this covenant, the old covenant, the Mosaic covenant, and the law, and had turned it into something that was so cumbersome that people could barely function as humans because there were so many rules. And then there was not just the law, there was the oral law and the oral tradition. You have to do all these things. And if you want to hear Jesus' heart to that, you can read Matthew 23, where he challenges all of the religious leaders of the day in that, in that chapter to say, you're, you're a whitewashed tomb. You know what? You're, you're taking care of the outside, but you're not taking care of the inside. So he challenges that religious system in, in Matthew 23, and you guys can check that out. But what we have is this context that Christ is stepping into of religion and law and covenant. And we see that Jesus is calling us into a new and better covenant and to be people who carry his presence, that his presence is no longer determined by a religious system. It's no longer in a temple. It's no longer behind a veil. The veil is torn. And even in Hebrews 10, it talks about how Jesus himself was that curtain that was torn for us to be able to enter into the Holy of Holies, which is relationship with God through Christ. And, and so he's saying, now my presence, which was hidden behind religion and sacrifice and law and requirements and man-made expectations and a veil that separated me from my people, that veil has been torn when Christ died on the cross. And so now where is his presence? Where does God make his home on earth? It is in us that we are carriers of his presence and we get to realize and in, in the study of Hebrews and appreciate the completed work of Christ. Jesus came and he lived and he died. And he rose again and he ascended and is enthroned at the right hand of God and that everything is under his feet and that we now live in that reality. And as the letter to the people called Hebrews is inviting them to step into that rest, we are being invited to step into that rest, that place where in the revelation of who Jesus is and what he has done puts everything in my life in a different perspective and I can rest in him that I can rest from my striving. I can rest from my comparison. I can rest from my temptation to go to religious checking of boxes. I did all of the things. Look at me. Yay. I can rest from all of those things because I found Jesus. He is my promised land, if you will, and he's invited me into it to make a home, to live and to dwell in him and to be at Rest, And so that's why we love looking at Hebrews because all of the Old Testament, all of the types and the shadows that we see in the Old Testament are revealed and made whole and fulfilled in Jesus. That that law even and the covenant, it's all fulfilled and passes away in Christ. And now we are better covenant people. We are people of a better covenant, a covenant of forgiveness that we can all live in that invitation to say yes to Jesus and step into that covenant and to rest in it. And that's the powerful thing that we see going on in this place. Jesus is not a way. He's not a truth. He's not a life. 
Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And as he said, no one comes to the Father but through me. And so think about that as we're looking through these chapters of Hebrews and we do come to the place where we're paralleling the veil with the curtain of Jesus's body that was, that was broken on our behalf, that you would understand a different, even a deeper meaning of what Jesus said, that I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. That he torn for us to be able to have access and for God to have access to us. And that is the way, that is the truth, that is the life, that is Jesus. There is no other way to the Father. And that's what we celebrate in Hebrews and that's what we rest in because we, just like the the people who this letter was written to, we are, I believe, coming out of religious systems that want to constrain us and, 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 I don't know, put heavy burdens on us and weights on us that we are learning to let go of all of those and to be kids who are living and enjoying the freedom that we have in relationship with our Father through Christ. Everything comes to rest in Jesus. Religion comes to rest in his grace. Shame comes to rest in his mercy. Darkness obviously comes to rest in his light. Fear and anxiety come to rest in his peace. Addiction comes to rest in his freedom. Depression comes to rest in his joy. Negativity, complacency, comparison, striving. Have I hit one that belongs to you yet? It all comes to rest in Jesus. And the resurrection life of Jesus should be the end of the destruction life. And if you are living in resurrection life, then the things that you should be keeping alive is your passion for the reality of who Jesus is and what he has accomplished and no longer spending time and energy keeping to, to life the old stuff of anxiety and fear and condemnation and shame. Let that stuff die at the resurrection life of Jesus, bringing that into the core of who we are and seeing it shift everything and change everything. We're going to Hebrews 4. We're still in Hebrews 4. Congratulations, we made it, and now we're going backwards, and we're going to go forward again, and maybe we'll get some somewhere. Uh, but Hebrews 4, to recap, since this is basically part two from what I taught last week, and if you didn't hear last week, um, by all means, go and listen to it. Um, it's, it's great. Um, <laughs> so there is some, every once in a while, I get a little fired up during a gathering, and then I go home, and I'm like, oh, jeez. I hope everybody does come back and look at it. <laughs> you guys didn't listen to the podcast. You weren't here. You're like, what did we miss? We weren't here last week. Oh, no, I'm kidding. Okay, so sorry, sorry. Hebrews 4. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter the rest, it's talking about the rest of Jesus, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David in the passage already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. That's the, those who are listening to this letter, and that is also for us. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. What is this example of disobedience that we see? We've mentioned it 
many times already in teaching of Hebrews, but I want to make sure that we touch on it. He's alluding to the Israelites who came out of captivity in Egypt. God brought them into the wilderness, and he was, they were crossing the wilderness, and they were going into the promised land, this land that had been, had been promised through covenant, and that he was leading them into that place. And they decided, as they looked at the promised land, they were like, hey, uh, no thanks. Why? Because they realized that the promised land would include some battles. We're like this, right? Hey, God, I want all of your promises. I want all your promises. Yeah, give them to me, give them to me. And he goes, okay, cool. Here's your promises. Here's what I need you to do. I need you to rise up in your identity as a son or a daughter. I need you to know the strength and the authority that I've given you. I need you to get your voice. I need you to get your heart. And I need you to move forward across this terrain that is covered with enemies. And I need you to overcome them. And I want you to, to come and get this promise that I have for you. Not because he's making you jump through hoops, but because he's actually maturing you to a place of strength that when you get to your promise, you can retain it because you have been refined through the process of attaining it. Instead of ringing your bell and saying, Butler, God, ding, 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 could you just bring me all my promises <laughs> on a platter, right? While I get fat and lazy on the promises of God. And I'm not learning to rise in my maturity. I'm not learning to rise in my authority. I'm not learning to find my voice. I just want them to be brought to me here. Bring me my promises. Where are my promises? And so they had this opportunity to walk into the promised land. And they saw that there were enemies. They saw that there would be a cost. They saw that there would be a battle. And they said, we can't do it. We don't trust you, God. Remember last week, we believe in you, but we don't believe you to be faithful. And there's difference. Even within the church, there's a difference of people who believe in God and people who believe in God to be faithful to the point where they're willing to risk to walk into the things that God's called them and asked them to do and be. And the warning of Hebrews 4 is don't be people who just believe in God, but don't believe that he's going to be faithful on your journey to the things that he has for you. He is with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Yes, there is some enemies that need to be conquered. And so the, the people wandered in the wilderness for 40 years until that whole generation passed away and a new generation rose up who believed in God and believed that God would be with them in the journey. And they went across and they were able to occupy the promises that God had for them. So this is the context. This is the backdrop of Hebrews 4. And he's saying, don't be people who are not believing that God is with you and for you so that you would shrink back from this place of rest that you can have in Jesus. Jesus has done everything that needs to be accomplished. There is nothing else that needs to be done for your salvation, for your enthronement in Christ, for your place of seatedness in God, for your promises. It is all completed in Jesus. You can rest in that. And we're like, no, 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 no. I don't know about this whole rest thing, right? I gotta earn it. I got to make my own things. I got to do my own things. I don't, even God, I don't even know if God knows what I want or what's best for me, if I'm being honest. So I'll just take care of it. But, you know, we'll just be buddies and we'll walk it out. He's saying, no, no, let me take you into my rest. It's been made, it's, the invitation is open to you. 
And he's saying this in Hebrews 4 to make sure that we understand that it is today, it is not some future rest. We are not talking about heaven. We're talking about the advancement and the reality of Jesus's life and his kingdom on your life right here, right now, today. That you are invited to be a person of rest in Jesus. And you're not saying, oh yeah, great. Um, I will just strive and strain and be miserable for my whole life. And then when I get to heaven, I'll be able to rest. Because Jesus, thank you, Jesus, hallelujah. (laughs) Right? No, no. I said it last week. We have to stop pitching into the future what God is asking us to stand in right now. And this is Hebrews 4 is telling us. Why would else would they call it today? Today, today, today. This is the rest that's available to you in Jesus. And so what does rest look like? I want you to think of rest as, as external and internal. There's two parts to it here. Yes, we have to be people who learn to rest physically, but it doesn't do us any good to rest physically if we are not at rest in Jesus internally. So you can be the most napped out person, man. Nap (laughs) nap all you want. But if you haven't come to rest in who Jesus is, what he is accomplishing, and trusting him on how he is accomplishing it, you will constantly be in that place of spiritual, emotional, mental anxiety because you can't outrest this reality of I'm disconnected from who God is and what he's done. So we connect in that place. And then when we do find places of physical rest, they are magnified and multiplied because we are already at rest in who Jesus is and what he has done. Maximize your rest by finding it before your nap starts. <laughs> rest is a weapon. I want you to think of rest as something that is offensive. It is not just defensive. Oh, I've spent myself completely. Now I need to go rest. No, rest before you work. The opposite, our culture. I mean, if there's anything, I mean, I know I say stupid things up here that are often offensive to people. And and people are like, what is he, what's he talking about? But I want you to see this. If there is a message for our culture that I believe is the most offensive thing I'm going to teach you and preach to you from this pulpit, it's going to be this. Hey, quit working so dang hard all the time. It's not up to you. Rest. Rest. Because it confronts a culture that says you have to be number one. You have to compare. You have to compete. You have to earn it. You got to be keeping up with everybody. Somebody else is successful. Instead of being able to be like, that's amazing. You're like, that's amazing. Good job. Oh, 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 geez. That's amazing. We're competing with one another. We're not at rest. I have a buddy, AJ Swoboda. He wrote a book called Subver- Subversive Sabbath. Subversive Sabbath. You can check it out. We, we, we disagree slightly on the Ten Commandments, but you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> again, I kid. Uh, but he says this, the Ten Commandments, nine of them you can break. You break nine of the Ten Commandments, you go to jail. You break one of them, the Sabbath, and you get a promotion. That's the reality of our culture. Don't rest, just work. Don't slow down, go faster. Work, 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 work. So this is an offensive message to our culture to say, you know what? It's time for you to take a break. It's time for you to rest in what Jesus has done. It's time for you to take this pattern and this this reality of Sabbath that says, if you would just take your hands off of everything and stop trying to do my job for me, I could actually accomplish far more with you at rest than with you at work. But we don't know how to be people of rest. Because when we say rest, you think, I'll take a sabbatical, I'll take a vacation, I'll take a nap. Mm -mm. 
Again, I'll go back to that same thing. If your heart and your mind, your spiritual life are not at rest in Jesus, it doesn't matter how many vacations you take. But if we can begin to be people who say, wait, I want to believe in a supernatural God who can actually do more with less of me, less of my striving and straining. He can do more. And I'm believing in that miraculous reality that says, when I stop, when everything around me says, keep going, and I say, God has put a pattern in my life where I am to be a person who rests in him. And then I think he can do more with that than what I can do with it. So, as I said this last week, I just want to repeat it. The greatest sign of a life that is being transformed, one of the greatest signs of a life that is being transformed by Jesus is internal rest while the things around us are at chaos, in chaos. Not everything around us has to be perfect. One of, the, one of the realities of a life that is learning to surrender in Jesus is that things outside of me can be in a storm, but inside of me, I'm in that boat with Jesus and I know that he has authority and that I can rest in him right? Where was Jesus in the storm? I'm not going to take this very far, but it's so interesting to find him sleeping. Because when you have authority over the wind and the waves, the boat, the water, you rest. When you're caught up into the one who has authority over everything that's going on in and around your life, you can rest. So I put this on the slide. I want you guys to see this. To rest in Jesus is not denial of your reality. It's denial of the lie that wants to define your reality apart from the completed work of Jesus. To rest in Jesus is not denying the reality and the things that you are facing, but it is denying the lie that wants to define your reality apart from the completed work of Christ. You are resting, and in resting, you are saying, this is an offensive posture that I'm taking. I'm going to find my rest first in Jesus, and then I'm going to work out of that place. I'm going to find my rest in him. And then I'm going to say, what is it that you're asking me to do? Instead of going and working myself to, to death and then come back to him and say, did I please you, Father? Did I do enough, Father? Do I belong in your family, Father? Because I'm working for, instead of working from, if we can be people who say, wait, all of that comes to rest in Jesus. And I'm being invited, as Hebrews 4 teaches us, I'm being invited into that place of rest that knows that I have a place, knows that I'm enough, knows that I am a part of the family. And then I live and work from that place. And it changes my perspective on everything. I want you guys to hear this too. Real rest doesn't produce apathy. It doesn't produce idleness. I'm not talking about being lazy as people. I'm not talking about not having dreams. I'm not talking about not having goals and ideas and ways to change the world. But it does have to bring an end to all of this striving, all of this straining, all of this stuff that is just dead religion that leads us to burnout. It leads us to failure. It leads us to be so depleted that when it comes time to choose who we're going to be, we have nothing left in our tanks to stand on and we get undercut by the very habits of draining ourselves that have put us in that place where we can't stand in our moment. Temptation comes. This one more request to just give a little bit more of ourselves to something comes and we don't have the boundary or the health to say no because we have not lived a life of rest. Psalm 34, 5, let this verse encourage you. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant with joy. Their faces shall never be ashamed. 
In my desperation, I prayed and the Lord listened. He saved me from all of my troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. I sought the Lord, he answered me and he delivered me from all of my fears. When we look to him, we become radiant with joy and we do not have to deal with the shame that the enemy wants to put on us. The invitation is so powerful at the end to step into the rest, to step into the promise, to taste and see that his rest, that his work, that what he has accomplished is good and we take refuge in that. Are you taking refuge in Christ? Are you at rest in who he is and what he has done? Rest isn't just the absence of activity, it is the presence of that peace that we draw from and that overflows out of our life as we walk through difficult situations and the things that we all confront on a daily basis. So let me close with this. I wanted to take some extra time on Hebrews 4 and do this in two parts so that I had some application time because it's one thing to get up here and to encourage and to challenge and to, you know, rah, rah, rah. But I, I really deeply want there to be this place where we can go, whoa, okay, I hear all about rest. Rest in Jesus, it sounds wonderful. How in the world do I walk that out practically? So I want to talk about this just a little bit. And practically, how does this rest manifest in our lives? So I want us to understand that to rest in Jesus means that the first step of application is that we have to choose to rest from some of the habits and some of the things that we may be caught up in. So to rest in Jesus actually means that we get to rest from numbing the stuff that's going on inside of us. To rest in Jesus means that we get to rest from avoiding the deeper work that Holy Spirit wants to do in our hearts and our minds and in those things around us. To rest in Jesus means that we have to rest from procrastinating our relationship with Christ. We'll get to it tomorrow. I'm really busy right now. Guess what happens if you're a person of rest? That relationship opens up suddenly because you're not so busy. So to rest in Jesus is actually to rest from the busyness that our culture suffers from, that is creating very successful people on the outside, but spiritually and emotionally, we're anemic on the inside because we are not resting. We're doing it in our own strength, our own passion. We believe that we are honoring God by killing ourselves. And we're not. We're honoring him when we come to a place of rest and say, I'm no longer, I'm resting from numbing. I'm resting from avoiding. I'm resting from procrastinating. I am resting from being too busy to feel what's really going on inside of me and to invite you into that place. So to rest in means to rest from, but how does it manifest? Let's go back to Hebrews and see how this rest manifests, manifests because I believe that Hebrews 4 continues on on the same theme. And it seems like it might change a little bit, but it doesn't. Hebrews 4, 12 through 13 says this. In response to this invitation to rest, 
He goes on, or the author goes on to say right away, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of whom we must give an account. When preachers, meaning well, take this passage out of context, it becomes a heavy burden that is used for religious manipulation and is placed on people because they're saying, the Bible is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even a dividing soul and spirit joints and marrow. I have news for you. You may not know this, but I think you do. When the author of Hebrews wrote this, there was no Bible. You're like, wait, okay, wait, I'm tired, can't. Just carry the one, just can't be true. Oh, it may also shock you that for the first couple hundred years of the church, there was no Bible in this form that we have it today. And somehow, somehow that church, filled with the Holy Spirit, surrendered to the word and living it out, was able to influence the entire known region with the gospel of Jesus Christ and to grow and to grow and to flourish. You're like, last week he went after the Ten Commandments and now he's going after the Bible. I'm out of here. You can, look, I mean, I'm not here to pat myself on the back, but it would be hard to find somebody who takes more joy in studying this than I do, to find someone who, who values this as the revealed word of God more than I do. I'm not saying that as a comparison or a competition. I just want to put to bed any weird things that might be trying to find their way into this. Love this. But this is talking about the incarnation of Jesus. John 1.1. 1, 1. The word is Jesus. The revealed reality of the gospel of Jesus, the words that he spoke and the way that he lived. Go back to Hebrews 1. He is the perfect representation of the Father. He was spoken of. God spoke through many prophets for generations and generations, but now he has spoken through his son, Jesus. When Jesus came, it was the word in the flesh. And this is what we align our life with, knowing that it is Christ alone. In the revelation of, yes, it exists in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It exists in this scripture. But that's not what this is talking about. Who Jesus is, the word of God. He is alive and he is active by his spirit. And when he moves, he takes, it is sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So when we're talking about rest, this verse takes it from a place of saying, am I getting enough naps to going, oh man, the revelation of Jesus and the invitation to enter into who he is and his completed work isn't just about whether I'm resting. 
It is talking about the thoughts and the attitudes and the motives of my life. Are you at rest? Totally at rest. Awesome. Let's talk about your motives. Because if you're at rest in Jesus, all the way down to the motives of your life are now in submission to the revealed and completed work of Jesus Christ. My motives come into alignment with Jesus and they rest in him. My thoughts, are your thoughts at rest in Jesus? Good, you got thoughts and motives? Okay, great, let's work on attitudes then. It's, it's, I mean, it's, it says it right there. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of a heart. Nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. This is good news. So again, if this is co-opted by religion, the preacher will stand up here and say, the Bible is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. You have, to, you have to align your life with it. You have to follow all of it, follow all of it, follow all of it, follow all of it. I'm not telling you you don't have to follow all of it. Knock it off. But listen, you have to follow all of it, follow it because now you're being given law, rules, regulations. Follow all of the Bible. Follow all of the Bible. Follow, 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 right? And then it's like this. And just in case you're not scared enough, let me remind you that nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before him. So if you're not following everything in the Bible, everything is laid before bear before God, and you have to give account for your life to God and how it aligns with the Bible. It's good preaching, right? What it's doing, again, is it's taking a future or a present promise and reality, and it's, and it's shooting it into the future, going, there will be this judgment where everything has to be revealed, and you get to be put under that judgment, right? No, this is a promise of his current Blessed are those who take refuge in the Lord. His current place with you is like, I want to be with you in such a way that you are at rest and we walk through every day, every moment of every day. And my word is so alive in you that when you are dealing with a motive in your heart that is not aligning with me, that in that place, I'm able to show up and give you rest from that lie that you're believing. I'm able to show up from you in that moment. I, everything is laid bare before me. Everything is laid bare. You have to give an account. But it's not some future account only. It's this reality that says, what about him being so close right now that as you are dealing with some thought patterns that you're not like, oh, shoot, I better clean those up before I die because I'm going to stand before the throne. But he's actually saying, I'm present right now. Let's deal with those thoughts you're having. Present, active, sharper, then a two-edged sword, it penetrates from soul and spirit, joints and marrow, judging the, the heart and the thoughts. That's the powerful promise that says you can enter into the rest of Jesus. And in entering into the rest of Jesus, his, his person, his reality will be so present to you that even you're interrupt, you'll be interrupted in your thoughts, you'll be interrupted in your motives, you'll be interrupted in the heart of the matters. And he's gonna say, would that come into alignment? with me? Do you want to bring that into alignment with me? It's not a threat. It's a promise. So Hebrews is calling us to ask this question, is my inner world at peace? Religion works from our external performance in. 
But this rest of Jesus is about him coming into you and living in you so powerfully that it works from that inside out to your behavior. And what we've offered people far too often is this, change your behavior, and maybe if you do it well enough, God will change your heart. Where's the grace in that? How about this? Jesus has done everything so completely that he was torn, that he invites you to step into him and that he wants to be in you. Such a powerful way. It doesn't matter what you've cleaned up on the outside. He just wants to be in you. And that as he makes his home in you, that that place of rest, that place of authority, that place of identity begins to change who you are from the inside out. Anything that you're trying to do from the outside in is going to begin and end with you. And I'm here to tell you, it will leave you completely disjointed. It will leave you completely disappointed. It will leave you completely disconnected from the Father's heart. But anything that begins with the Father's heart being delivered to your core through Jesus Christ, and that that wants to go and make root in your heart and in your life, and that everything out of that, it will make its way out into your life. As I said, Christ-likeness is what takes place when I align and open my life to Jesus Christ and invite his Holy Spirit to make a home in me, and I rest in that. Have you encountered Jesus in such a way that everything in you is surrendered to him? Thoughts and attitudes and motives because nothing is hidden. It's all laid bare and I'm here to tell you it can all come to rest in Jesus. Somebody who has entered into the promised land of Jesus is at rest and it doesn't mean that everything is perfect in your life. It just means that you can recognize the contrast when you're not at rest. You begin to say, oh, wait, wait, this is different than how I know I'm supposed to be and how I feel when I am living in that place of rest. And you are aware of contrast, and then you invite Holy Spirit to show you what is disconnecting, and he will show you how to connect it again so that you are back in congruency with the rest of Christ. You're living in that place of surrender. You're living in that place of rest. And I think that that is the promise we have, not that he makes everything perfect, but that you begin to notice when you're out of sync with a, with a rest-filled, Jesus-centered life. I'll give you an example. Garris and Jan, my pastors who had this church for 15 years before Kate and I um, became the senior leaders. And I find this to be true. People have walked with the Lord a long time. If you want them to get into your drama with you, you want to maybe find somebody who hasn't been walking with Jesus very long because they may still love drama, but you want Garrison, you want someone who is going to get all up in your drama and go, oh no, oh no, oh no. Don't share your stuff with Garrison Jan. <laughs> Garris, the finances of the church are falling apart, man. Like somebody do something. We got to do something. I don't know what's going on. He's like, yeah. <laughs> you don't understand, man. Come into my drama. But people who have walked with the Lord for so long, they understand that his presence is preeminent over everything and that his promises in that are always shown to be faithful over time. And you cannot get them to get into your drama. And it's infuriating. 
see, don't we Christians, we want people that will like freak out with us because then we feel justified in not being people of rest. So we go, let's go find some other immature people and we can share with them the way that God's not showing up. And then we can all throw a freak out session together. And hope the Sunday church is good enough to get us out of the cycle. Garris, everything's falling apart, man. My marriage, you wouldn't even know. You don't even know how bad it is. He's like, yeah. How's your heart? Church is falling apart. Okay, how are you doing? You standing in Christ? You standing in his promises? Get out of here with your stupid religious stuff. I don't want to hear that. But it's not because when you've walked with the Lord for a lifetime and you've seen time and time and time again, the living in rest is far more kingdom productive than anything you do out of rest. You can be a person that when someone brings you drama, you go, let me invite you to come to rest in Jesus. Let me put an end to your drama. Let me introduce that drama to Jesus. Let it walk into that place of rest and maybe have a seat for a little bit. And that's why I love those people who are ahead of us on this journey, like Garrison and Jan, that are so powerful for us. Because they have access to that invitation to the rest of Jesus. And they're unflappable in so many ways. It doesn't mean that their life is easy. It doesn't mean that their life is without pain. It just means that they know what it looks like to rest in Jesus and stand in patience as they walk forward into the promises God has for them. So let me ask you this. Are you at rest in the intimacy of the Father's love for you? If I could find places where believers in Christ, we wrestle. One of the main places that we wrestle to find rest is just knowing that we have intimacy with God through Christ and that he loves us where we are, as we are, who we are. Not some future version of us, but who we are right now today. He loves you. Are you at rest in that or are you still trying to earn that and figure that out? My challenge to you is that the revealed word of God, the incarnation of Jesus came to show us that the Father loves us unconditionally? Are you at rest in your identity that you have a place in the family? That you know who you are? And that you're not trying to earn it and you're not trying to prove it, but that you know because of Jesus's work, you have an identity and you have righteousness and you have been set apart. And scripture says that in Christ, you are holy and you are blameless as you stand before God. That is your identity. Are you at rest in that? Or is that still up for grabs as you walk through life? Are you at rest in your inheritance and in the authority and the voice and the things that God's called you to do? Are you at rest in them knowing that it's not by your works, but it's by his? It's not by your power, but it's by his spirit? Are you at rest not trying to prove yourself or get pats on the back or get the gold ribbon? Gold ribbon? The gold star, the blue ribbon? And that you know that even if no one else knows who you are or knows what you're doing, that you have an inheritance to be used to expand his gospel, to advance his kingdom, and that you're not trying to earn it. Are you at rest in that? 
If you're not at rest in these places, then I want to challenge you and invite you, as Hebrews 4 does. Enter into the rest today. Don't be like those who walked up to the promised land and did not believe God and didn't access the promises and the rest that God had for them, but be like those who believed and held on to that promise and walked into the rest and into the promised land. That's what we are to be like. In very practical application, I'll close with this. I want to give you guys something tangible that you can use. If you feel like there is places in your life today where you're saying, I know I have connection with Jesus. I'm not worried about, about that. I, I'm, I'm good. But I still have these places that are not at rest. I, want to, I just want to give you a really simple roadmap for how you can deal with that. First of all, take some time, just you and the Lord. Maybe you read the word, worship a little bit. Pray a little bit, whatever it is, setting your heart and your mind on him and invite Holy Spirit into those places where you're feeling disconnected, you're feeling anxious, you're feeling like you're not at rest. Have this one-on-one invitation to encounter and to hear from the Lord and ask the Lord about those places where you feel like you're not at rest and, and, and say, what is it that's going on here? What's happening in my life? Why do I not feel at rest in this area? And here's what you might discover. You might discover that he shows you a lie that you're believing about him, about yourself, about your circumstances, or about somebody else. You might, he might show you a judgment that you have against yourself or against others that you're protecting. He might show you a sin that you are, that you are hiding or that you're not removing from your life. And, and by sin, I don't mean a list of things. I mean, sin is anything in your life that disconnects you from God's heart for you, for you and his purposes for your life. So you can't find a lot of the things that you're doing that are sinning on a list in the Bible. Did that come out super mean? Uh, no, good. No, you're all, okay. So listen, if for me, sin is anything in my life where I am disconnecting from God's heart or his purposes for my life, it doesn't matter if I can't find that thing that I'm doing in the Bible. It means that God is asking me to stop doing that thing because it's disconnecting me from his heart. It could just be sleeping past 538 in the morning because he asked me to get up at 538, right? Okay, so, okay, yeah, gotcha, good. So you might discover a lie you're believing, a judgment you're protecting, or a sin that you're ignoring or enabling to exist in your life, sin being disconnection from God's heart. If you're still stuck in that place after you confess those things and give those things to the Lord, you might find that suddenly rest is easier to access and you're living in that place of rest, but you might not. You might find that you're still struggling. Number two step, simply this. Find somebody that you know who is living in that place of connection with Jesus and carrying rest and invite them into your process. Say, Here, here's, the, here's the stuff I'm struggling with. I, I don't feel at rest in this. I feel like I'm still scrapping for intimacy with God. I feel like I'm still scrambling for identity. I don't know how to walk out my inheritance with authority. I, I, it's just all a big mess. Come and connect with me and help me. And yes, that person is going to come and pray with you and talk with you and help you work this out and get your mind and your heart around it. It doesn't have to look like anything fancy. It's just an invitation to not be alone in that place and to know that you're okay in your journey and you're okay in your process for crying out loud. Good night. You're not in a race. Let me say it again. People, we are not in a race. So it's okay to take the time to do the deeper work that needs to be done. And it's okay to invite someone else into it when you can't get to that place when you're just doing it by yourself. And then finally, the third thing I would say, if you're still, even after taking those two steps, that you're still wrestling and you're still not at rest, oh, baby cakes. Okay. Um, 
that you would connect and reach out and you would get the help that you need. One of the things that we love that we have here is called soul care. And we're not trying to create this as like the, the hamster wheel where everything has to happen inside the walls of the church. But we do want you to know that if you're in a place where you are in stuck and struggling and having a super hard time with something, that you can reach out and there are people who would love to meet with you and help you and pray with you and give you tools, Bible-based tools even, to walk in the freedom and in the rest that Jesus has for you as a follower, someone who has surrendered and submitted to Christ. Tackle it and invite God into it. Invite someone else into it and invite the help that you need so that you can be a person who is spiritually, emotionally, and practically walking out the rest that Jesus has for you. Okay, love you guys. Have a great Sunday. That's the kind of the end of Hebrews 4.